This evening's uh, Dharma talk is, uh, is uh, refrain. So the idea with uh, here is to, it's just another way of saying similar things, uh, like uh, uh, negativity can be used as a, as a Dharma gate, uh, if you understand uh, what that is. Uh, but when we have negativity, it's so, uh, what is it? It's so, uh, it draws us uh, into our impulses to kind of stop it or to make excuses for it or to jump the gun, so to speak. Shut it down, for that matter. Go away, change the subject, change, the, change our activity, uh, change our thinking process. And, uh, and so the idea of reframe, what I'm meaning by saying that, using that particular um, concept, is when something negative does come up, uh, rather than uh, struggle with it or try to push it or try to analyze it or try to have a bunch of guesswork around it, what it's about, um, or spontaneously add on to it, like, here I go again, what is this about? I can't seem to get rid of this. This keeps coming up. Uh, I don't deserve this and all the other kinds of interpretations we have. So when I say reframe, I'm saying as uh, soon as the negativity shows up, just change your attitude towards it and use it as um, a Dharma gate. Use it as a way of learning, uh, getting to know yourself more deeply because your, your um, um, temporary identity is very, very... Um, seductive it's very even though even though a negative identity of i'm never going to get this right i can't do this i'm always suffering i'm always depressed or whatever still very seductive because the, the ego mind the self-centered mind wants desperately to be somebody and to have some kind of proof that what they are somebody you can do that in the hell realm and you can do that in the in the god realm and you can do it all to all the other four realms in between any one of those has a dynamic in it that has to do with some mixture of Passion, aggression, and ignorance, the three poisons. Grasping, pushing away. So grasping or seduction, passion, pushing away, aggression, or uh, um, resentment, uh, and all the different levels of that. And then the other one, of course, is uh, just to ignore or distract ourselves into something else. So when something does come up, uh, reframe that. And I don't mean spend a lot of... Uh, analysis around it just feel the negativity when the negativity comes up the way you reframe it is, is just by you could you might have to say something you might just have an attitude of understanding what reframing is so you could just do this without uh, adding on uh, drawing a picture with concepts or something uh, you could you could uh, if uh, if in the past you've been using the idea of making negativity into Dharma gates or a way to look deeper into into uh, into your consciousness and to see your your true nature, your Buddha nature, your awakened nature. Um, you know, ego doesn't really like this. Uh, ego wants some kind of payoff or some kind of guarantee or some kind of uh, it, it will uh, if you're it will kind of accept anything rather than just not have an idea what, about what's going on. But I can say this another way: using uh, let's use a sense of uh, taste. So us uh, beginning to see the truth is like all the flavor going out of things, like no flavor. It's like uh, you could say, get used to the taste of water. Get used to get used to that. This is what you're doing when you're sitting down, practicing shikantaza, zazen. Some people teach this as a, a way of manipulating the mind or getting the mind to be more clear or getting the mind to, to do this or do that or be more stable or 
Uh, sometimes the seduction of the jhana state sounds really good. Maybe we should do those. Maybe we should do those. Well, um, I don't teach those. So what I teach is what I what I encourage is you do for you. Anyone who's listening here who gives me the benefit of the doubt for ten minutes, twenty minutes, find out who you are and how do you do that. You look at what you are not. You look at the negativity. You look at the positivity. And the idea there with taste is you just see, just uh, imagine uh, what your experience would be like to not have any flavors. Everything is without any taste. Uh, on the other hand, it uh, wouldn't necessarily be tasteless, the, but the quality of the taste might be extremely refined because there's so little phenomena, there's so little personality, there's so little um, uh, texture to that experience. Doesn't mean there isn't something there. It just means that what is there is very, very subtle. This is what we're trying to do. I mean, the whole world is full of uh, ideas and and all kinds of magnetism pulling us into this. Try this. Try that. Uh, just watch. Uh, go and uh, watch. Uh, you know, fifteen twenty minutes of commercials. It's just full of that. It's not that some of those aren't creative or entertaining sometimes, and it's not that that there isn't a strong relative truth in anything that's being talked about there. Of course, there is, but that is the loop to loop that that happens with samsara. We're born, we grow up, we get involved in this. Um, when we're ten years old, we have this hobby or that hobby. Uh, then we get magnetized into being a professional person. Maybe we become a doctor or a nurse. Maybe we become an engineer. Maybe we just decide we want to build houses or something. So many different things can happen. But those, all of those areas, much as we need them to make a living and so on, are full of circularity and they're, and they're full of hooks. It's just like a merry-go-round with hooks all the way around it. Get too close to it and uh, you'll find out what choicelessness really is from the point of view of relative truth. You'll be drawn into the orbit of other people's karma, other people's ideas, other people's opinions. And what do we do with those? We agree. We disagree or we ignore. Again, the three poisons. Contemplate those. That's a, that's a, an incredible formula for how the mind works and how the mind works not only in samsara, but how those same uh, um, three poisons, those three ways of, of avoiding the reality of uh, dependent origination, which is a, a basic teaching of the Buddha that everything, nothing comes from its own side as a, an individual or self. Everything is uh, generated out of its interdependency with everything else. Pratitya samutpada is a fancy Sanskrit word, unless I got it mixed up with something else. Generated. So reframe whatever's arising. If you're sitting on the cushion, if you're a, a meditator, which I assume you are, if you're listening to me, you probably are. Sit down, hold still, hold a symmetrical position. Use this uh, hand mudra because it's it's not something you do casually. This is something you have to specifically do, just like you have to specifically sit down on a cushion or a chair or a stool or on the floor or on the ground or in the sand or in the grass. Hold still. Stillness, even if it's only for three minutes, is much more important than not quite so still for a few hours. So if you're having difficulty with the stillness part, then try to bring it down to a, a certain uh, space of time. Like the space of time that I recommend for people to train their mind is, is the uh, block sitting, which is the four hours, started at noon, end at four, start at four, end at eight. Start it with a bell, end it with a bell. Whatever happens in there, you should be as still as, po <clears throat> as possible, not for the whole four hours. Uh, you probably should sit very still for 
whatever it takes to get to some kind of a discomfort. Don't disregard the discomfort. This is just a misunderstanding and not not wrong, but it's a uh, assuming you have to maintain some kind of militaristic stillness. Don't do it. Do it with your body. Do it in concert, in communion, in communication, in cooperation, and collaboration with the body-mind. If the body is hurting, you need to move. This understanding that where you have to muscle through or the, the Zen master is going to yell at you, like they will do. And some uh, Rinzai definitely will bark at you and yell at you. Um, not wrong. They just aren't looking at it in a, in a, in a way that, that I feel is clear. We need to cooperate. We don't need to muscle our way into some kind of uh, enlightenment or some kind of state beyond the state we're in. The state you're in is awakening. If you don't realize that, you'll struggle. You'll think that something needs to be different. Nothing needs to be different. It's a deep, deep understanding. It's called transcendence. And what does that mean? Find out. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. So reframe. Reframe everything. Beginner's mind. This is just a re uh, rehashing of what Suzuki Roshi said and what Wenning said and what uh, uh, Sekito Kisen said and what Dogen said, you know, on and on and on. I'll go down the whole list of lineage holders in different ways are saying this, this very direct perception of what is. So reframe. Question? Uh, Chazan has a question. Yes. How do you change your attitude around negativity? So the way you do that, since nothing lasts, I mean, you're, you're in luck here, Chazan, because uh, what I'm going to say is something you already know, but maybe you need to be reminded. Impermanence. Uh, one of the one of the four marks, one of the three marks of existence is impermanence. The next one is suffering or or uh, um, dissatisfaction, and the the next one is uh, no self. There's no self experiencing any of that. It's not that the experience isn't there. There's just no individual being. So if you look at the negativity, just look at it and look and see if it's solid. You will notice if you're looking at it, and you're not making any comment on it. You're not making any any judgment of it, or you're not if you're not fueling the negativity. You're just watching the negativity. You will notice that it begins to fade or get stronger. Both of them are quite interesting. The 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 getting the fading out part is because you're no longer fighting with anything. The getting stronger part is because something about your uh, initial uh, reception of the negativity that might have brought up the question you're talking about means that you probably are ignoring some part of it, so you won't allow it to change. And now that you're actually observing it, now it gets to change and get stronger. So uh, whatever happens, make no comment. Whatever happens, don't evaluate anything. Start out by not evaluating me. Don't evaluate the teacher. Even if the teacher is making big mistakes, I'm not saying you shouldn't leave the teacher. Maybe you should. But don't evaluate, don't, uh, don't uh, take uh, this teacher or any other teacher and judge them. If they're, uh, if they're doing something that is uh, uh, incorrect or wrong or socially or whatever kind of way it is, uh, there's no justification for that. Don't justify anything. Don't condemn anything. And certainly don't look away from it. It's always about awareness. Coming to con This is what a conclusion looks like. Ignorance. People do it everywhere and call it knowledge. Uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj, the, the Indian sage of the last century, said, all knowledge is ignorance. Contemplate that. Anything you know about anything means that you're ignoring everything else. I could not function in this way, whatever way I'm functioning, 
if I was doing it out of some kind of knowledge, uh, out of some kind of relative getting together of how the the Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, the Twelve Links in the Chain of Existence, and uh, some kind of analysis of all that, or all of the things that you study when you study uh, uh, the uh, Meditation on Emptiness by um, Jeffrey Hopkins. Complicated stuff. If you need that, there's a whole book of it. Chazan has a follow-up question. Good. Could you say more about working with stillness? Should this be an active intention when sitting? I don't, I don't have any hand on my copy. But do I mind? <laughs> no, I don't mind. I would say that that's very uh, that varies enough that you you can't go into uh, that something. I would say, well, yes, that should be. I think it varies a lot, and I think it's uh, very situational. Most meditation practices are very situational, even though there's a fairly strong form. You hear the Han and Bell in the monastery, and then at, at quarter to seven in the morning, and there, there's certain, and you know, if you're if you're hearing at a distance, you can count those, you can tell exactly without even looking at your smartphone as to how much time you've got to get in and sit up, sit down on the cushion, or how much time you've got to get in there if you're the dawn, the timekeeper. But yet, every one of those situations with all those forms is extremely situational. There's so many things, so much different in the middle of the winter there than it is in the summer, the spring, the fall. And so everything about everything is constantly uh, changing and is in flux. So what was the question? Should, uh, could you say more about working with stillness? Should this be an active intention when sitting? So I think part of the active intention of, of, uh, Excuse me. Of holding still is to do that with the body. Don't do it with the mind. Uh, the, the mind or the observing part, that particular part of the consciousness that we call the body, which is just another dynamic of consciousness. That particular situation should be uh, anything that is in motion that you can't that you can stop and stop it with no warfare. But if you can't stop it, then then uh, take the position. A stillness that you can actually maintain, which you'll notice if you watch the body for a length of time, even the, even the stillness of the body is still in motion. There's uh, the breathing, the heartbeat, uh, the, the temperature moving uh, up and down, getting warmer, cooler. There's all kinds of things that are happening there in the body complex uh, uh, as we uh, bring our awareness to that to endeavor to hold still. So it's it's somewhat about holding still, but it's also about when you do hold still, you notice you can't quite hold everything still. That's where the awareness uh, about the movement, just include the movement, whatever show, whatever moves, uh, it, it just comes and then it disappears and it gets larger, it gets smaller, gets more intense, uh, tends, to tends to back off and loses its energy or intensity. Awareness, awareness, but the awareness is just aware. It's just like changing your allegiance over from the clouds that are on the move to the sky, which uh, has no issue with the clouds whatsoever. He has another follow-up question. How important is posture relative to stillness? I'm thinking in particular when I sit hugging my knees. So that's, uh, that's an interesting one. And that's something that uh, uh, I teach differently. But it's, it, my teaching of this is based on having painful body situation for many, many decades. Uh, being able to, uh, you could say, well, sitting, uh, someone who could sit very still might be uh, a better meditator, not particularly. Um, so I say sit down. Let, let me tell it like a story. So you sit down, you hold very still, you hold in a symmetrical posture, you have your back straight. 
you have your, you, you try to align yourself as well as you can. Some people think they're aligned and they're actually off this way or that way. Um, I, I notice that, but I don't correct it. I don't correct postures unless I'm asked. So if the person who's sitting, if they're sitting this way or sitting bent over, if they're sitting too far back, when I say too far, I don't even mean that. I'm just saying they just are sitting different than others. Some people are, I might talk to someone about their posture if their posture is extremely straight and extremely highly polished and, and almost look, starts to radiate light. It's so beautiful. You know, I might say, uh, so what's up with that? Is that, is that helping? Um, but someone who is having some difficulty with the posture, maybe their back is hurting, their knees are hurting, then I, I if not, I was going to say often say, but I think I always say, I say, go easy on yourself. Don't, it does not help, help. To, that's a misunderstanding also of the Soto Rinzai Zen. And even the Tibetans that put themselves in a little box, somebody can't move. It's just like, come on. It's, you know, trying to make force, uh, use the body because we can do something with the body. So we want to force the body to into some kind of uh, um, make-believe enlightenment. So we need to relate to the body where it's at, just like relate to the body, make friends with the body, uh, communicate with the knee is talking to you in terms of uh, feeling or pain. Uh, don't don't totally move every time there's a little pain, but give it a little bit of time. Don't overdo it, nothing to prove. Then move your legs. If you've been sitting for an hour uh, in, a, in a half lotus or something or a really strong posture, and then your knees start to hurt, you could give it a little bit more time, but not so much you're going to hurt yourself. And then bring your knees up, put your hands around your knees. Um, there's no there's no one correcting the posture in, uh, uh, in uh, Sokovoji, Buddhist monastery. That, that's, that's not allowed here. We did have another priest come in and walk around and correct people's posture once. And I think they were all quite offended because I never do that to anyone. So they uh, that person will remain nameless, of course. And of course, did I correct them? No, I didn't even go and said, don't correct my students' postures because I don't correct. I might respond to a question, but I don't really correct. I think that's a misunderstanding of how consciousness works, especially when we are endeavoring to see what's fundamentally true. If you start meddling with something before you're even clear about what it is, then you might as well be just uh, uh, trying to see the bottom of a, of a pond uh, where you keep stirring the mud up. You're not going to see the bottom. You've got to hold still and observe. Jiuzan has a question. Certainly. Uh, he asks, is there a difference between treating something as a Dharma gate or teaching and rationalizing something as this happened for a reason? So we say this happened for a reason. You know, of course, I mean, uh, quite often we'll hear in conversations, people say when something is confusing, you say, you, some people swap opinions. Do you think everything happens for a reason? Those kinds of things like a totally meaningless question and meaningless response because everything is dependently arisen. So if you if you want to call one of the parts of the dependent origination a reason, go ahead. But it doesn't clarify a damn thing. It just sets up, it just paints one thing red and one thing blue. So um, I think that each person is functioning differently. I trust uh, anybody who's a student of mine, I trust you to work with your with your mind in as clear a way as possible, less is better. Less, less, uh, less putting into it and more watching what it does as it is. Watch what it is doing as it is, as it says on the banner in the uh, Zendo. Um, something like that. Say as it is. 
think I wrote it down. So uh, less is better, Sim just very simple. Whatever's happening is exactly what you need to see. There's no need to go in and find a reason for something. Um, this doesn't mean in your everyday post-meditation, something happens and you realize that every time you sit on the bed, uh, the, the, the bed collapses. You know, you probably should look and see if one of the legs is broken. <laughs> There's probably a reason there. So simply put, we don't want to go too far with it. But when it comes to working with the mind, that's a very uh, subtle uh, area that, where things are happening with forms that don't have a, they're not, they're, they have a phenomenological aspect to them, but they're not solid forms that are, that are functioning in, you know, like a door is in time and space where it has a, has a kind of temporary dependability, uh, like the ground, it's always there, but it won't last, nothing lasts. Uh, and even the, those forms that are moving in consciousness called thoughts, emotions, memories, those will not last either. Shoto has a question. Does reframing take on different energy than manipulating? Yeah, uh, manipulating is uh, might have might look like reframing, but it's more about trying to get it to look different than it than it's showing up or re re uh, uh, readjust it. I don't mean to readjust. I'm, when I say frame, I'm I'm saying have just like a picture frame. You you widen the frame or you close the frame or you make it in a circle to use some pictorial metaphors. But yeah, so one is one is that you're actually trying to get some kind of result. And with reframing, you're trying to get some kind of idea. What is that? So sometimes we'll even say when we say, well, uh, you might be saying to someone, well, I think you should, uh, <clears throat> I think you need to stop using that kind of uh, soap when you wash your dog because of this and this and this. And then and then the person misunderstands and thinks, you know, you can tell that they're kind of offended because they misunderstood what we were saying, trying to be helpful. And you, and you would say, well, let me reframe that. Um, and then you might say some other way uh, about how to go, how to, um, you know, give the dog a, a shampoo or something like that. Kind of a weak metaphor, but that's the only thing that came up. So let me reframe that. So that would be a way of maybe actively going in and, but you could also do it with something that uh, arises in your mind, some kind of negativity that arises there instead of just doing the same old thing with it. Uh, like pushing it down, the same old thing with it, explaining it or blaming somebody or blaming oneself or distracting yourself into some other activity because you've just had enough of that kind of a feeling. Uh, you could just be with the feeling and, and reframe it. Another word might be uh, to be take a double take on it. Look, look at it again. See if you can... You know, uh, you don't have to close your physical eyes, but you could close your eyes, close, you, know, you know, take your consciousness and go back into the five sense fields, which are in what relatively what is called present time. The sense of touch doesn't act, it doesn't uh, function in the future or the past. There is no past and future. It's the mind that makes that up. It's the mind that thinks that something else will happen. It's the mind that thinks that something else happened. That's uh, the, the mind is a... Uh, Kind of a spontaneous time machine. A time machine's uh, real easy to operate if there is no such thing as time. Shoto has a follow-up question. Good. Should we practice reframing something pleasant? It seems hard to work with reframing without looking for an outcome. You, you know, you could. You could. You could take something that you kind of take for granted. That's always uh, that's always working good. That's a pleasant situation. 
and you, maybe you could practice on that. From the point of view of a realization or awakening, uh, positive and negative and neutral experiences are not different things. They're just experience, just thoughts. We add on. This is a good thing. We add on. That's a bad thing. And it's not that dependent origination isn't totally, uh, completely just gleeful about being able to help you with this adding and subtracting. So we buy into the dependent origination without seeing uh, what a fool we are. It's totally foolish to, to come up with any kind of proof of anything um, from the point of view of, uh, of a deep understanding of a realization, because it, it will work, of course, because relative truth does work. That's why we get trapped by it. This caused that, caused that, caused that. And therefore, I can get in there and somehow, you know, get some of the benefit from it because I understand how it works. People who are very good at uh, uh, any kind of uh, technical work or, or for that matter, building a house or, or, or um, this is uh, quite often this is all an attorney does is reframe things. Take the, the situation as it's presented and change it and change it until and, and so they can see the way that that is going to work. Uh, you could say in a courtroom. Uh, and then, then there's uh, one that we all know that is, is onto that and understands that uh, out of uh, out of an intense uh, fascination with with his uh, their apparent uh, self or image of intense uh, uh, narcissism, just continually reframes and reframes and reframes called lying and, and just does it over and over and over and over again. So that but the amazing thing about it is that people will listen and keep repeating that. Uh, rather than just turn it off or, or don't don't uh, interview the person. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that this uh, what this person is doing is incorrect. From the, their point of view, they're, what they're doing is, is uh, correct. It's uh, uh, what's happening. And I'm not going to mention who it is. I don't think I need to. Uh, and it's causes and conditions. There's no one to blame for any of this. It sure, it sure the hell looks like it. Not true. It's a misunderstanding. Everyone is suffering. Everybody wants to be happy. And because of the causes and conditions that have been coming up since beginningless time, as all these various people, it looks like some people are better than others. It looks like some people are saints and angels and other people are uh, devils and criminals and so on. I'm not saying that that dynamic won't arise, but don't believe it. Don't disbelieve it and don't ignore it. Uh, Jun Shu has a question. When a situation makes me feel threatened and I spiral into many thoughts about how to protect myself, how can I reframe that situation? I think uh, if if you um, are waiting to uh, reframe it with that situation, I think you might need to start on another level. You might need to start with reframing the what is happening when, when you're on the cushion or when you're just in the kitchen and having a daydream about something and noticing a mind wandering into some other kind of spiral of uh, entertainment or some other spiral of kind of a, a low burn of a paranoia about something. And I think, I think those areas need to be reframed or seen as uh, Dharma gates or seen as, as some deep aspect of your mind, personality, condition, your karma, however you want to say it, rather than, than sit back and kind of space out until the really horrible situation comes along and suddenly you're looking for some kind of tools to deal with that. So those that reframing could start on a, a more simple, direct level. We all have negative feelings all day long. I have them come and go all the time. Ningda from New York City. Greetings. 
Is she there? She's there and she has a question for you. I bet you do. Feeling like I know things seems to bring some comfort. Do I need to give up on that comfort? I don't think you need to give up on knowing things. I don't think you need to give up on comfort. Uh, I don't, I just don't even teach that way. You don't have to give up anything. Um, but it's really important to see it. It's really important to be aware of the movement uh, of, of things are, are giving you comfort. And, uh, and then there's a the feeling uh, a little bit of maybe not guilt, but some kind of maybe this is not good for me to do this. Maybe I shouldn't give up on that. It's the confusion and, the, and it's not the confusion itself is not the issue. That's that's the thing that keeps us from seeing that what, what the actual misunderstanding is. The misunderstanding is that there is a solid person that even can do such a thing. The person that could gain something, a person that could lose something, a person that could enjoy something. It's the individual. The enjoyment is fine. The negativity is fine. All of the clouds that arise in the sky are fine. It's when we mistaken who we actually are for a cloud. And we think it has to be a good cloud and can't be a bad cloud. And we need to change ourselves. We need to do this. We need to hold really still in meditation. We can't move. So uh, I use that metaphor quite a bit. It was around long before I got here. The mind, the, the, mind, the, the, the mind in its fundamental nature is more like the sky. And what comes and goes, emotions, thoughts, ideas, hopes, fears, and everything are like clouds. Nothing lasts. Uh, but the mind, the mind doesn't go anywhere because it's, it didn't come into creation. It's always been there. Chiuzan has another question. How is correcting a misunderstanding of consciousness? So simply put, it's thinking that level, I'm not sure how you're asking it because it, because it, it's still a concept and it's not always so. I mean, even, even though I might say that, there are times when it might look like you need to go in and say, you need to move this from this side to this side. That's why those forms in the, in the, in the monastery and in the, in the, in the Zendo, the chants, that's so why we do these, we repeat these over and over again so everybody can have a really strong awareness of not only their own relationship to forms that are very, very repetitive and have to do in terms of concepts, ideas, and uh, uh, the visuals that are involved have to do with uh, reminders of the teaching of the Buddha, but also noticing that, that you never, even in your own situation, you never can do the same thing uh, twice. It's always slightly different. There's always some kind of a contrast and you might be uh, happy with it and you might feel like you need to correct it. You might, uh, especially in, in uh, was it Chazan? Chazan. Huh? Chazan. So uh, in, in the, in the the situation of Juzan, if you've been here a year, close to a year, uh, you've had a good chance to see all the repetition. You see how uh, you see how uh, Chezan handles teaching people. He's taught you the forms. You see how he works with uh, with you and with others, and uh, and he's following kind of my lead about how to help people with forms, but don't go overboard. Allow them to experience their inconsistency with the forms. So it's very, uh, as I say. Uh, endlessly. It's about awareness. It's not about being right. It's about awareness. It's not about being wrong. It's about awareness. It's not about getting it right or changing it or moving anything. It's about being aware that everything is dependently arisen. You can't count on anything. There is no separate thing anywhere. If you think there are separate things, you'll try to count on one thing and mistrust something else. This is called samsara. And this is, this is, the, this is the root of samsara, is uh, totally assuming there's somebody who could be right. There's somebody who could be wrong. 
or there's somebody else who could be right or wrong. Uh, there is no solid uh, being in this conduct form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness do not add up to a being. They don't, even though they, they hold hands and struggle with that identity, uh, eventually the sword of Prajna is going to come and cut all their hands off of the wrists. They won't have any, they won't have that any, uh, that gang, that gang of five uh, that gets together to get its own way. Uh, Jessica has a question. Jessica. If time is not real, how can we understand memory? It's all what you're always remembering what's happening now. It's like um, it's like in uh, uh, Lewis Carroll's uh, Through the Looking Glass. Uh, what is their quote there? Um, it's a uh, it's a poor memory that can't that only works one way. That can't remember the future. I was like, uh, I'm not sure what it means, but it's fun to think about. So I would say, Jessica, that what, what you could do is take the concept of time and look at how we just take it for granted. We actually think that we are someone moving through a physical situation. Uh, but it's if you look at it closely, it's it's not that much difference between um, having a little mechanical apparatus that has a, a hand, because without that little hand moving around pointing to numbers, what, you know, time is very, uh, as they say, I'm saying, as everyone says, it's very subjective. When you go to sleep, you don't, you don't know about time. Or when you get in, engrossed in something you really like, Time shortens. Sometimes meditation. Sometimes you'll if you do enough sitting. Uh, eventually, the whole subject subjectivity of the apparent movement of uh, something we call time does not actually is not substantial. It isn't. It isn't. There is. It is not that there isn't something happening in that area, but it doesn't point to something else. Like a feeling of the present doesn't point to the, the lack of a future or a past. And, uh, and going into our imagination of the future does not abandon the present. Everything happens now, even our thoughts of the future, our thoughts of the past. Our memory of the past is always inaccurate. You can't even remember the present. can't remember this from moment to moment. You can't, uh, you know, it's the memory is so, it's interesting that what you've forgotten, you don't know you've forgotten. That's because you can't remember something you've forgotten, but you've forgotten just about everything that's happened today except for those three points, uh, two, two, three in the afternoon when this happened or that happened. But I would say sit down, uh, if you wanted to, sit down and write down everything that happened today. Uh, write down everything that happened uh, uh, two Thursdays ago. Gone, except for specific things like your birthday or something like that. It's, it's just an interesting, uh, rather than, rather than uh, fill it up with a bunch of my ideas about it, uh, going to further explanations of, I would say just really, really look. If you can see the way we kind of take time for granted, then other aspects of the of, of those two, those two things, time and space. Space is the other one. So, space is the actually uh, uh, dimensionally space is flat. You create this. Don't and you don't have to figure out what I said. You don't and for sure you don't have to believe it. I prefer you don't believe anything or disbelieve anything or ignore anything. But I don't always get my way. Uh, Giusan has a, f a follow up question. Certainly. Why does continuity seem stronger second over second as opposed to day after day? So it could be just the spacing out part of it, uh, just the, the way the mind spaces out. If you sit down and look at the wall, um, there's, there's some big uh, gaps happen there. It might take a while to see them. And those same gaps are happening all the time. 
when the, when the awareness that when when that which is conscious or perceiving is not grasping at something else and is not imputing uh, an observer, then the space is open dimension. There's no one there. And it's uh, uh, from the point of view of wisdom, it's completely empty, colorless, no flavor. But from the point of view of uh, compassion, uh, then it's, to use the fancy word, it's uh, you really like stuff or love, which is not, not uh, uh, it's a kind of love that is uh, deeply appreciates everything, even the most negative things. It's deeply appreciative of the incredible uh, brilliance of this world. Is it time for something else? Oh, we have time for a few more questions. Oh, okay. So if there's another question? Uh, not at the moment. Do you have any? Uh, um, so uh, uh, Juzan brought up the idea of continuity. Um, you you talk about a discontinuous identity. Mm-hmm. What's continuity? So how, that's continuity? Yeah, how? Just like the word sutra means thread or continuity. The word tantra uh, also means uh, continuity. So, but But it's not something that, and I'm not saying that, we couldn't talk to Jeffrey Hopkins or talk to Bruce Nelson or talk to any scholarly conceptual person would probably explain that to you. But I think it's better to just use the concept, contemplate that. It's better continuity because if you do it with concepts, it's just like, it's as if you were looking at a problem uh, laying there and you went, I got to figure this out. Instead of uh, look at the perplexity that those kind of concepts bring up. How can, how can, uh, what is, what does it mean by continuity? Is there, is there something, does this mean continuous? What does it mean by when I, when, uh, when I say discontinuous identity, it's the discontinuity that is the continuity. It's again, not to, if you, if you find any one thing you make a statement on, you'll always find its opposite. The only thing, the only way you're not going to find the opposite is uh, uh, with the ultimate truth. It doesn't have an opposite. Even relative truth is seen as an opposite, but when you see that they're not two different things, the sky and the clouds are not two different things, then they are seen as uh, they come together because they're not separate. But then the very, if you think there's oneness, if you think there's a oneness there, ah, I got it, non-dual, then you're creating another opposite. So, and then if, then if, then you got that opposite to deal with, then you've got to see, look at those until that comes together. So, you know, you could be at this for quite a while. Is there an opposite to Buddha nature? Relatively, there's there's an ego mind, or the, the uh, king, the Rudra of ego, the, who's, who's the king of hell, Yama. That, I mean, that's just images, but fundamentally not separate. There's a, my teacher, Trump Rinpoche, just referred to that as basic goodness. And I think he was one time asked if there was a basic badness. And he said, no, it works for me. You have, another, you have a funny question? Now? Oh, from Shoshi. He's usually quite funny. He says, where yeah. the heck are you guys and why is Sokazan drinking from a mini coffee pot? <laughs> I don't know. This, uh, I, I picked this up. Uh, I picked this up um, and it didn't have a handle on it. So and I thought, well, I shouldn't complain. Just be lucky I've got some coffee. <laughs> we are somewhere near, near the Serbian border. And <clears throat> headed for, uh, I think it's, uh, it used to be called Sudetenland. It's in the middle of Europe. But now I think it's probably been subsumed under one of those warring nations over there, France, Germany, one of those other ones. 
don't don't try to follow us. You'll never find us. If somebody could, I'll tell you what, if you could guess where we were at, I'd give you 10 bucks. <laughs> There's no way you could know where we're at because we don't know. <laughs> we're somewhere in the United States. That's your only hint. No other questions. That was a good question. We got two minutes. One more question. If you have it. If you don't, we can. Well, this isn't a question, but no. Chazon said a few minutes ago, uh, mm -hmm. one of your uh, part of your talk, you said, turn it off, and then the light right above them went off. So, mm. Oh, that's magical thinking. <laughs> it's hard, it hard to pull that off without getting I mean, somebody kind of praise you or, you know, or think you're. Some kind of power. <laughs> Ethan from New York says, you're in Newark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, get, write him a check. <laughs> <laughs> Ten bucks coming your way. <laughs> uh, he, he's closer than he he's closer than he than he uh, knows. That's a good guess though. Leave it to a stand-up mm. comic to uh Oh, whose cat is that? That's Ethan. Oh, what a beautiful cat. Oh, my God. Look at this kitty cat. Can you see it? Look at the face on that cat. It's like, this has got to be over soon. <laughs> oh, it's a friend's cat. Okay, my friends. Looks good. Oh, there is one more oh, here. One more. Okay. Yeah, from Joseph in Kalamazoo. Joseph. If knowledge is ignorance, how can we have public policy? I saw the play in 1984 recently, and Orwell's use of that phrase you quoted is used in a much darker context. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, people who struggle, people have no mind training, have no, then they're, they're at the mercy of their karma. And sometimes that karma is really highly intelligent. And of course, Orwell, if you read his, uh, uh, Orwell, Animal Farm, or or uh, the 1984. I mean, my goodness, incredible insight into society and the way that the way that structure and the way that works and the way power works and the way manipulation of others and uh, and the way the the mind, uh, the self-centered mind, can get so terrified and so worried that the only thing it can do to get out of that is to control others. So, but it, but if you if you go too far into the relative right and wrong part, correcting like making one person bad or one organization something bad and something good, then then you still have the tension. It has to be, as uh, far as I can see, if we're living beings, it has to be looked at at the root. And to look at it at the root, you have to start with the insanity in your own mind. I don't care how sane you think you are. You have to look at the insanity. It's like when somebody says they're not prejudiced. This is impossible, especially if it's a, a white Anglo-Saxon. You know, the prejudice is all over the place. You can't help it. So, but the idea is not to get rid of prejudice; it's to be aware of it so that it gets no more energy. So, you know, so not when, when it's being said, uh, knowledge is ignorance. It's the grasping. It's not the knowledge. It's the grasping at the knowledge and thinking we have to do this with some kind of relative knowledge and understanding. It, it just it's just a spiral it just keeps creating more and more you know you go from model t fords to you know 1959 cadillac and more after that i think that's good it's a wrap i think good evening my friends <laughs>